Hey there, friend. Welcome to the Bloom Living Podcast. If you're looking to up your game in the area of finance, I invite you to go to bloomyourmoney.com and download our free ebook, Bloom Your Money, Your Life. That's bloomyourmoney.com to download our free ebook. Today's podcast is brought to you by Thomas DeShooter Business Success Coaching. Are you ready to experience your business thriving? Or maybe you're already thriving and you want a better system for managing your cash flow. The truth is, you need to be set up to win. And winning is all about the process. Being certified cash flow specialist and profit first professionals, Thomas DeShooter Business Success Coaching will put you on track to win big. Check the show notes to book your free consultation or go to thomasdeshooter.com. All right, welcome to the Bloom Living Podcast. We are speaking with uh, today a great guest, Noble A. Dracone. And I'm calling this show today, Coin Offerings and Crowdfunding with Noble. Uh, so Noble is heavily involved in DeFi and NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And uh, DeFi, for those that don't know, I have to look it up, is decentralized finance, right? in gaming and consulting and ICOs, which are initial coin offerings and STOs, which are security token offerings. For the past several years, he has been doing this. He's a pioneer in augmented reality as a patent pending holder, as the CEO of a mobile gaming company that develops interactive augmented reality games. He's been involved in multiple tech startups as a consultant, investor, and director. He is a crowdfunding and capital raising consultant, publisher of accredited investor journal, author of the best-selling books, Trade Like a Pro, and Winning the Trading Game. Welcome to the show, Noble. Hey, thanks a lot, Thomas. I really appreciate to be here. Yeah. So I was uh, inspired about this because, and I'll just give you a little context so that uh, you can help me navigate through this. So I've spent two decades in personal finance, Mm -hmm. trading as a stockbroker, life insurance sales representative. So very much on the retail side. Mm -hmm. And I read a book called The Wealthy uh, or uh, Becoming Your Own Banker a few years ago and and started to go down the rabbit hole of the world of money, central banking, and then what a massive pyramid scheme it actually really is. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. So I've been sitting on the sidelines with with cryptocurrency a little bit because that's that I'm not sure about it. I'm not, how is this going to play out? And I'd say over the course of this year, I have now got to the place where I think both feet are in the camp of support. If not both, at least one and a half (laughs) are there. And, And so I wanted to do some shows about this because I think there's a lot of people that don't get it. It's yeah. they, they just hear it and they're, they shut off and I want to simplify it. So how, maybe my first question would be wow. is how would you simplify it for somebody? If you just had like an elevator pitch, how would you simplify it? Uh, the way I would simplify it is what if the tokens that you got at Chuck E. Cheese can be bought and sold outside of Chuck E. Cheese and all the games you played and all the little, you know, tokens and, and the like that you get to play those games, you could actually walk right out of Chuck E. Cheese and then go to Walmart and use those same tokens uh, to buy groceries. And that's really it. It's not, you know, people have really made this thing so complicated. Now, 
you know, one thing you didn't put, you know, the, the bio doesn't talk about, I was in retail investing for 20 something years. I started off at 17 as an assistant to a broker. I got my license when I was 19 as a commodities broker. And for 20 years plus, uh, you know, I wrote seven books on investing. You mentioned the last two, but I spoke all over the world. I ran a broker's firm. And if anybody remembers the days in which there was no euro, you know, you actually had to trade the Pesetta, you had to trade the Lira, you had to trade, you know, uh, the Dinar, all this stuff that you had to trade. The Frank. That's the Frank, you yeah. know, the, 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 you know, the German Frank, the, 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 whatever, everything, all of it. And all of them had a pairing uh, to what their value was against each other and against what the dollar was, right? And so at any given time, all these currencies were in motion. And so the euro pops up and I kind of laugh and I joke with these guys in crypto. I said, we ended up with three main currencies, right? The, the yen, the renminbi, the US dollar, the euro, you know, it's four core ones that we, 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 we kind of trade all against with the yen not having as much strength as before. But the reality is we now replaced it with every company and every corporation having its own currency, its own tokens like Chuck E. Cheese. And that's become hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies utilizing these. And so uh, it, it's kind of a, a re, it's actually an explosion and a regression at the same time. Right. Right. So, uh, so here's, I'm up in Canada and uh, for those, those Canadians that are listening, they'll know what I'm talking about. Many, many, many years ago, a company up here called Canadian tire started loyalty dollars and you would actually get paper loyalty dollars from Canadian Tire and they still give it out today. And that's essentially what you're talking about, right? Is that that's it. That that's what's happening with these companies. Now that's a little bit different than what Bitcoin is, right? There's but I'm gonna tell you now it's that's the funny part. It's so it's so much isn't you know the only thing that happened was those loyalty dollars weren't registered on a computer. So when it said that hey we only are going to have 1 million loyalty dollars that we're going to issue. And when Thomas gets his 10, we know that Thomas has 10 loyalty dollars. And when his wife gets 20, she gets 20 loyalty dollars. And now all of a sudden there's only a million of these loyalty dollars. So now if you can then track it and trace it and you say, okay, I have 10, but we want to buy a car and we want to lose these loyalty, do loyalty dollars. If someone wants to accumulate all the loyalty dollars, they'll say, Hey, I'll, I, there's only a million of them. So I'll sell goods and services to start collecting all these loyalty dollars. It's the exact same thing. It's just, it's because it's on a computer. People don't like computers to, to begin with and have a hard time with it. That All of a sudden it starts getting all fancy. And you know, you've been in the financial industry. There's certain ways that we say things that are so jargon-like to almost make it impossible for lay people to understand. But when we say it in a basic way, they go, oh, yeah, I understand that. That makes sense. And it's because in every uh, particular industry, it has its own language. And because it has its own language, it creates that additional barrier. So now you have the barrier of crypto and Bitcoin and Litecoin. And then you've got to understand what tokens are and private keys and all these things that are starting to create these barriers. And on top of that, there's a whole swath of generation that doesn't even like using computers. So now you've got the, they're on the verge of luditism, right? They, they, they kind of like the technology, but don't trust it. On top of that, now you have this whole other thing. So I think a lot of it just kind of works uh, against itself in some ways. Right. And, and I think people get themselves freaked out about it, right? There's a, there's a certain amount of like, I don't understand this. I mean, 
if you've been in retail, you know, most people don't open their statements anyhow. <laughs> They're like, I don't get it. And I don't want to get it almost. I go to my mother-in-law's house and she hands me, and sweetest woman, she's brilliant, intelligent, but she literally would hand me all of her uh, uh, Vanguard statements and say, okay, can you check what they mailed me the last three weeks? Because I have no idea. They're moving this and they're doing that and what I'm paying and what I'm not supposed to be paying and all that. So, yeah. So I want to take this to then. Uh, so where, I, where I'm coming from is that I guess the one concern I have about the cryptocurrency world, yes, it's on a computer. I understand that. Where I lose it a little bit is what if computers don't work? Like when I think of the principles of money and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think there's a difference between currency and money. And there there are a lot of the same in these. It's a medium of exchange. It's a unit of account. It's portable. It's durable. It's divisible. It's fungible. And where money to me is different than currency is it has to be a store of value. Now, with cryptocurrency, we can't actually move it around. Like, I can't pull it out of my pocket and pay somebody unless I have a device. Yeah, exactly. Unless you have a device, unless you have a device. And so I think there's, so there's, there's a lot of stuff getting smashed up in there. And I, and I agree with you. Um, the store of value that we've all grown up with, and I've been a huge gold bug my whole entire life, has been gold. I know that I can go and buy a silver, you know, one ounce coins at XYZ price. And if they go up in value, it really doesn't matter because I own and hold on to the silver. I own and hold on to the gold. And if they go up in value, great. So now when we agree and I want to exchange a couple ounces of silver with you or some gold ounces, we know what that medium exchange is and we agree on what goods and services we can we can kind of transfer amongst each other. And there's always that uh, concern that all of a sudden the computers are not going to work. But there's 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 something I had to come to grip with, grips with personally uh, is I don't believe uh, in crypto. I don't, I, you know, I bought Bitcoin when it was like a few hundred bucks initially before the first big run up. And then it ran up to about eight, 1800, almost $2,000, the first big run up. And then I sold it. And I'm like, man, I can't, I, I can't believe that this digital currency will ever be really more valuable than gold. So I sold a whole bunch of my, my Bitcoin at that time. And uh, then it ran up to 20,000 and now it's back at another run up to 20,000. And it, I had to psychologically separate uh, what I was seeing versus what I was believing. And there's something that I used to write in my books and I told people it is, you have to make a decision for yourself. Is it more important to be right or is it more important to be profitable? Because sometimes those things are mutually exclusive. Yes, there's an opportunity that Bitcoin will drop back to zero or 10 cents or, or nothing. You know, like nobody even cares about it 10 years from now. But because I've been a longtime trader, I have to look at what I'm, I have to trade what I'm seeing. I can't trade what I personally believe. I can't trade what I anticipate what the, what's going to happen. I have to trade what I'm seeing. And it took me a while to psychologically transition to get into that mind frame that I have to trade what I'm seeing. I don't have to believe in Bitcoin in order to realize that other people believe in Bitcoin. You know, you have major uh, I think it was, I want to say Goldman Sachs put out a report believing that it's going to be $300,000 per one Bitcoin at one point. So it's at 17000 Is that a steal? Like, where will you be when your kids say, hey, did you ever get any of that Bitcoin that went up to a million dollars? Like, no, yeah, I didn't believe it or I didn't understand it. They're like, well, why didn't you take the time to understand it? We could be millionaires now. 
And, and that's kind of the, the, the psychological push I had to give myself that there are things that I know for a fact, I look at the mistakes my parents made when they could have bought beachfront property for a hundred thousand dollars in Long Beach because it was a rundown uh, uh, Navy town. And now those same properties are going for million, two million, 1.5 million. And in hindsight, we can always play quarterback, but when do we actually do that for ourselves in the moment? Yes, crypto is difficult. Yes, it's hard to understand DeFi. Yes, the language doesn't make sense. But what else do you have to do to kind of make an investment in yourself to just learn it? Mm-hmm. And so I spent the last two years just to learn it. I'm, I, I don't have any kind of, I had to separate my emotional connection from understanding that I don't want to be the guy 20 years from now looking back saying, man, I could have bought, bought Bitcoin at, you know, I already, I'm already upset. I could have, I had a whole bunch of $300 and it's run up to 20,000 almost twice. So I can always tell you that I, and, and just for the listeners in general, you don't have to be a believer, you know, and you don't even have to understand all the mechanics. I buy cars and I can't change the carburetor. Uh, I, I have no idea what the electric uh, why electric vehicles work and are so quiet the way they are, but I, I hope that uh, it is helping the environment in the long run. I don't know what's under the hood. And I think that sometimes we have to take that psychological move that it exists. The electric vehicles are here. The car, when you put the gas in, goes from A to B, <laughs> right? We flip the lights on in our home and we get the electricity. At some point, you've got to separate trying to be an expert in everything. And, and it's okay if you're a leader to follow sometimes. Right. That's, that's well said, Noble. So what you're really talking about is the difference between uh, having to completely understand something versus, I like the way you put it, looking at what's in front of you. You know, and I was actually doing this morning before this, I was talking to my wife about this. I was looking at Amazon and, you know, 1997, Amazon goes public for $18 a share. Mm -hmm. And if you'd have put $10,000 in at that moment, and held it because it, you know, and, and let's, let's look at that. They sold books online. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all they did. And people were like, who's going to buy a book? Like that's dumb. $22 million of valuation today on that original $10,000. If you'd have just parked it and forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here in the world of crypto is that if it has the ability to, to actually, significantly significantly impact the way we use money mm-hmm. then you know the reports i've seen is that 10 million dollars a coin is possible because yep. it would replace what we currently use as that trading mechanism as that currency and it goes back to what we said there's a finite amount like i said if those loyalty dollars you could only there's only a million of them and people were willing to trade and use them and barter with them and, and give you something in exchange for them, then those loyalty dollars would start driving up in value. And the beauty of this whole game is that it's called, you know, we look at the Bitcoin, but the reality is it's DLT, it's a distributed ledger that's important. All your double accounting is built into the system. So you know where it came from, where it went, how many there is, and it's all built into the code. And that's where the beauty of it all is, that it's all built in the code. It's immutable because the code's distributed 
all over the world and all, and all these nodes. So it's been multiple times verified, you know, five, six, seven, eight times verified. And then it, it's stored and saved. And so no matter whether it's Ethereum or Bitcoin or Tron or whatever it is that you, you get involved with, having a portfolio or basket of crypto will be just as valuable as when back in the day we used to have baskets of currency that we would hold on to in order to to mitigate some of our inflationary risk. It doesn't mean that you're only uh, gonna do crypto. And there's some people that are personally acquainted, that's all they do. But it does mean that in the long haul, you cannot continue to bury your head in the sand uh, and just let life pass you by on this one. This is, this is just, a, it's an opportunity that you're gonna make mistakes, you're gonna be wrong, because for every $18 stock that has a $22 million valuation, people bought mining stocks and gold stocks and stuff that have languished. The oil people who have oil stocks are frustrated. There's no guarantee that everything's gonna turn up all roses. But in this instance, sometimes you do have to follow the wave and follow the herd in this, in this move. Right. I'll just let our listeners know that you've got some roofing going on at your house today. So. <laughs> That, uh, I know. Sorry, guys. It's it's a it's a you know we, we're about to hit the rainy season, and we ordered this what two months ago to get the roofers out here, uh, and so now they're here, and uh, yeah. So now we we were hopefully it'll all be done before the rain start hitting in California. It gets kind of bad down here. So thanks for your patience, guys. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. So let's talk a little bit about this crowdfunding, crowdfunding and capital raising in the mm-hmm. world of coins i'm i'm assuming that's what you do it in is in the world of coins or no another, no you know we, we do so we we have done it in the world of coins and so we do with a lot of DeFi projects but you know it evolved because uh the jobs act in in, in the united states popped up it was the jobs act of 2012 which allowed private companies to raise literally an unlimited amount of money from accredited investors and they also had an opportunity to have an unlimited number of accredited investors that they could advertise and market to. And so up until now, that never really existed. And so as the ICOs started popping up and then the government started shutting a lot of these ICOs down, a lot of those companies then shifted over to filing what's called a 506C to be able to raise money. And so uh, we, but we work with people across the gamut, whether it's a, a company trying to uh, f- uh, build up their fund whether it's companies that are using the 506C to do notes or do DeFi projects or to do. So it, it covers the gamut, but we, yeah, we work with a lot of companies in both in blockchain and non-blockchain companies to take advantage of this, this law. Right. How, where does your interest in decentralized finance come in? Where, how does, how, so how that, did that so happen? That's, well, that's the secret of crypto, right? So it all, all evolves from the crypto side. I had no idea what it was. And it's almost like when you start going down the rabbit hole, you know, Bitcoin is like uh, the just the tip of the iceberg, right? Ethereum just the tip of the iceberg. Decentralized financing is what can you do once you have this Bitcoin? How do you make money? How do you, how do you generate? Because there's no bank that's taking it. And so... We started developing and being part of multiple DeFi projects where you can take this these coins that you've, you've accumulated or got somewhere or whatever the case may be. And this, one of the ways to do it is called staking. You actually take these coins and you park them, just like you said, and you're earning interest based on parking them. You're receiving uh, uh, extra coins from altcoin, different altcoins, alternative coins that are out there that are increasing your value. There's all these like cool things that you can now do with your coin, but there's no bank involved. 
when they talk about decentralized financing, you know, it's not going down to Wells Fargo and making a call. It's not going to do a loan, uh, you know, at your banker and filling out 50 forms. It's literally taking those Bitcoin or those Ethereum or those Litecoins and then putting them in a smart contract that does the lending for you. It finds out if the people are worthy and they'll lend the coins out and you get paid interest. And so it's these really cool ways in which you can exploit the coins. And so it becomes a natural progression for anybody who starts going down this rabbit hole. Okay, now I've got these coins. Now what? What can I do with them? What value do they have? And that's when you start plugging them into smart contracts. You start getting involved with different DeFi products. Uh, like right now, we're really excited about Moon. Uh, we've done uh, an altcoin called Hex. We've done, I've done personally done a, uh, an altcoin called uh, Axion that we just did, uh, we've just been recently, where they do these daily auctions that you put up a certain amount of your Ethereum or Bitcoin, and they give you their tokens based on their tokens value. Yeah. And then you're part of a pool of earning interest on all of everyone's Ethereum. And so you can cash back your Axion or Hex back into Ethereum if you want, or if you're holding on to them in the pool, you receive interest. And so... I've gotten out, out, I mean, like outlier returns, 50%, 100%, 12,000% effective annual interest rates that are in this DeFi market because there's no middleman. It's you, the ownership, the contracts are speaking back to how people are paid and you're being distributed out, tokens, coins, the like, based on whatever the contract is designed. And that's really the unique part of all this. The tokens are great. And, it, you know, that's kind of like I said, the, the surface sizzle, the bacon, right? But the insurance and the exciting part is what is happening behind the scenes with how the distributed ledger technology tracks and keeps short, makes sure everyone gets paid properly. And then the smart contracts that are programmed and designed to literally operate on their, their own almost AI in which they pay out people according to how they participated based on the algorithm. And that's the exciting part. And you've been in trading or you've been investing a long time. It's the same thing that we used to do in trading. We used to program our, our AIs and our neural nets to pick and execute trades. But this is more self-contained and it has a way different risk factor because it's not to trade in and out, even though there's some programs that still do that for, for crypto, but it's literally paying you based on other people and joining, borrowing, and the increased value of the underlying asset. And if everybody is correct, I mean, a lot of people are showing to be, the next bull run for crypto across the board is being led once again by Bitcoin. And this may be a multi-year bull run as opposed to the, the last year's you know jump and drop. Okay. So let me see if I can understand this. So I are you familiar with a coin called Compound? No, I'm not. Okay, I'm, so I'm, there's, there's a gazillion. It's similar. I'm sure the, the logics are similar. Right. My understanding is I can lend, so I can lend my coins into Compound. They then lend them out as leverage or something to that effect to others. And while my coins are in there, I'm earning a return on them and being paid in crypto versus my coins just sitting in a wallet doing nothing. Absolutely. Is that accurate? That's absolutely accurate. Okay. Now, what is a smart contract? It's just a mini program. We, we deal with them every day. You know, again, it's, it's all the nomenclature, right? It's a mini program that's programmed on the blockchain, so it can't be changed. The moment it's programmed, it can only do what 
it was told to do, and the blockchain won't allow it to be changed. And so it's very important that you review what the, and all this stuff is open source. That's the other part. So if you're a programmer, you can go and read what the contract is. If you're not, then make sure you read carefully what it is that the program does and find out how much is going back to the developers. Sometimes it's 5%, sometimes it's 10%, sometimes it's 50%. So understand what's there. And because there's so many sophisticated people who are participating, they there's no bait and switch. Whatever they write in, in, in the FAQs, they know that the people who are very sophisticated will go look at the open source and make sure it matches up. So us as being lay people, particularly, you know, coming in and, and I know programming, but even still coming in as a lay person, you should be able to read what the offering is and know that that offering is immutable. It'll always do that exact, exact same thing in perpetuity. And that's the good and the bad, right, of blockchain, that once it's made, there's nobody who can control it. There's nothing that can stop it. You know, you know, there's there's different projects that have come out that, uh, for the most part, look like Ponzi schemes built on smart contracts. And th- those smart contracts are never going to change. It's immutable. So governments are like, oh, we want to shut this down. But who do they shut it down with? Once it's programmed and put into the wild, this app, this program, this smart contract is literally functioning completely on autopilot. And there's no place to shut it down. There's nobody to talk to to say, shut it down. You can only try and convince people not to do it. But once it's created, it has a life of its own. And the same thing with Compound. So this is where people that say the government can stop you, because I know Ray Dalio has come out and said that, you know, the government can stop people from trading Bitcoin or they won't allow it. The central banks won't allow this to, because if money falls out of their hands, then that scheme a pyramid scheme, as I called it off the top, is over. And the, those those mouths that are and hands that are being fed by all of this debt underneath it is finished. He's saying they won't allow that. And what you're saying, what I, if I understand you correctly, and I understand everything else I've read about it, is there's nobody to shut it down with. Like, you can't go to somebody's door and knock them down and say, <laughs> say all right, you're done. You can't. They'd literally have to line up every single person that trades in it and put them away around the globe. Around the globe. And, and, and so there, there's a, so I have my degree in finance and everyone always has this really um, doom and gloom about it. But when COVID hit uh, in the United States and they were thinking about doing the stimulus package, the U.S. was actually planning as part and it was put in the bill to create their own token that they would issue to people instead of handing out or printing out cash to people who are in need. So this idea, you have JP Morgan, which has Quorum, which they create their own DLT and own uh, uh, basically token behind the scenes to be fungible. This idea that the central banks are anti uh, Bitcoin and the like, remember you can actually trade Bitcoin on the futures market. They've created whole entire futures markets in order to allow institutions to acquire Bitcoin. It's been all, you know, Jamie Dimon was anti-Bitcoin, anti-Bitcoin. They create their own DLT now, and they're actually about to put up their own tokens. People have become wise to that. It doesn't have to have an either-or scenario. The dollar is based on the full faith of people believing on the ability of the American worker to be able to work and create more income now, excuse me, in the future than they do now 
based on the growing population and industrial ability of our United States. And that supports every country around the globe. There are other countries that do well, but ours has been really succinct and one uniform way to create that engine that allows China to work, which supports Europe, which makes sure that Central and South America flow forward. There is no either or in this scenario. There are countries across the globe that have no banking system. We know for a fact Africa has no true banking system. This has been a panacea. They've been using digital uh, uh, transfer of money on their cell phones since the, the, the early 2000s. And people were using flip phones. They were sending money back and forth and sending. This has been the, the trajectory of digital money for a long time. And it's built in, in, in when you read when you read a lot of these uh, uh, you know, deep, really boring reports on finance. This is the trajectory that most central banks want us to go to, right? That's why they got rid of the thousand dollar bill and they and, and swift transfers are easier and ACH transfers are easier and wires are more simple to do. You can initiate your own wire from your own business account. Things have been bid by bid leading to a world in which there is no cash being held. And so the idea that somehow this is a, uh, a threat to central banks I actually believe it's less of a threat because now central banks can relieve the pressure from themselves of printing money to support economies when businesses literally are printing their own money and allowing people to buy goods and services internally within their business with these different currencies. And what happens is you're taking cash out of money supply. Again, you know, M2, M1, right? You're taking cash out of money supply to put into a digital currency that now goes back to the bank. It, and now you're not having the so if you understand all the, the m1 m2 supply and how this financial component works you, you have to realize that it all really is to the benefit uh, of of central banks it's not to the detriment so let's go to uh to the the direct to individuals so what i've read or or heard other people say is that you know what would ultimately be the best scenario is a central bank can lend directly to me Mm-hmm. letting because what happens is this money floods is two trillion dollars in March April whatever that was floods the market and it ends up in the hands of people that don't necessarily need it mm-hmm. and the ones that need it end up not getting it whereas if they could distribute it directly they they could actually just put it into the hands of the people that they know they're which is it was intended for right I mean that's who exactly. it was intended for in the beginning and you hit the nail on the head and you know we're, now we're getting into philosophical money issues and and the system that we've been laboring under of the multi-tiered uh gatekeepers to capital right and and that's that's a whole nother conversation we could talk for days for that uh the, the reality is i uh, there are central banks around the world right now creating their own tokens to issue to people and you're 100 correct wouldn't it be great that they don't have to print it, press the printing wheel. They can literally issue tokens and those people can trade and utilize those tokens individually. And these central banks are one of percent gun call. China's on the, on the verge of creating one South. I believe South Korea is on the verge. Uh, even the, you know, the U S central bank has uh, a federal reserve has on multiple occasions talked about creating one. And I believe that they are on the verge of creating one. It, this is uh, you, you hit the nail absolutely on the head. The goal is to get the money to the people in a way that makes sense. And the people that are most harmed are really just the, the way the institution has always been, right? You have to go to Bank of America. You have to go to lenders. You have to 
But once, you know, there's some, and this goes back to why these altcoins are so cool. There are coins that will identify who you are. I literally create your whole credit profile. That one token now represents all of you, Thomas. And so when you go for a loan, you just send them that token and you'll be able to approve or disapprove within seconds uh, based on that token being sent over. And you don't have to, you know, I don't know if you ever, uh, how many homes are, are like you bought, but when you go through the paperwork here in the U.S. to buy property, it is like this mound of paper. And then they will call you in every phase. Hey, uh, we don't have XYZ paper. Can you send it over again? And you're sending the same piece of paper over 50 times to different people. And then if they pass your file to somebody who doesn't know you, you're sending a bunch of paperwork to that guy. There's some real, and this goes back to the, the decentralized finance part. There's some real solutions being created in the DeFi that will make that kind of exchange change. It'll make title easier when you start putting a property on a DLT and know that this is the parcel, then you don't have to send out an additional inspector and to do an additional title search to prove that this property hasn't been sold twice because it's on the DLT on the distributor ledger technology. So in this, that's why I say the, the entry into this world is the Bitcoin and the excitement of moving stuff and playing around with it. But as you start digging deeper into what the decentralized finance will allow us to do, it makes things less frictionful, right? It makes things frictionless that you're able to transfer property, transfer title, transfer information within a matter of seconds. The reason why the mortgage-backed security problem exists existed at all was because the banks were rushing all the paperwork because it took so much to package this debt that they were creating to resell it. So at the end of it, they didn't even know they owned, if they owned the property, right? So we have these huge collapses that would have never occurred if that was on DLT because they would have known that that property is really bad and it would have been on DLT that you can't sell this eight, this D paper for eight paper prices. All that stuff would have been on DLT. So uh, I think that it's not going to all change overnight. There's some huge drawbacks to crypto. It's almost impossible to do for lay people, uh, nine times out of 10. Coinbase has done a good job in a few other places, Bitrex and some other ones. Uh, but understanding public keys and private keys and the fact that if you lose one or you don't have your code, you've lost all your money. That is the more of the fear that I've ever had than any of the other <laughs> issues that come up with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I use Coinbase. I use a, another one called Coinberry. So I want to get, you know, Noble, this is what I saw when I, uh, your point about Africa is, is interesting. Cause when I, I went to Kenya, uh, February of 2019 with my family and, and, you know, in Canada here, our cell phone costs are ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I go there and everybody has a cell phone and, you know, be, having Wi-Fi and data is like cheap. It's like nothing. It costs nothing compared to my home. And uh, what I also saw was when we were down on the beachfront uh, on the Indian Ocean, there was signs on properties that said, you know, do not buy this without calling this number. Mm -hmm. Because people could try to sell land that they didn't actually have title to. Mm -hmm. And what you just alluded to was that a ledger, such as a coin that we're talking about, that would not be possible. It would be this, like all, that's all you need to do to eliminate all of that is that it's on this ledger. Here's who owns it. It's, it can't be altered. It can't, nobody can go back and try to, mm -hmm. you know, 
fingle with it or change it, it's done. It's done. That's yep. that's amazing. Like that is that is where the technology is brilliant. Exactly. And that's the power of the technology. And this is why we can't just bury our heads in the sand. It's very easy to ignore what Bitcoin is and ignore what uh, Ethereum is and all these coins and then get overwhelmed and, and just say, okay, I'm just throwing out the baby with the bathwater. But the reality is there are some real world solutions that are to, to problems that we have with just knowing who owns what. You know, I'm a big fan. I collect art. I collect comic books. I collect other stuff. If someone were to come to my home and steal it and I wouldn't, they could resell it and do whatever they want. If that same piece of art is now locked on the DLT, that this particular piece of art was on the ledger, is noble owning it. It has this look. It has these 10 qualities. It has this, 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 and this, that the moment someone tried to sell it and they looked up in the database Oh, well, you're not noble for your ID. Obviously, this is not something you can sell. And that's what's been missing in our society for a long time. No one knows who owns what, when they own it. Uh, you go, again, and you're in insurance. If you could, you know, the amount of insurance fraud that happens because people are able to just send photos and the like of what they potentially had stolen is different from, hey, just send us all over. Uh, uh, the items on DLT of everything that you have in your home, we'll have that on the list and it's locked in. We know that you own this ring, this, this TV, this, that, this, that, this, that. And between QR codes, which can activate it, and you have an instant opportunity to create a quote unquote token for your item uh, and the ability to then record all that. We have the technology to institute that. And there's so many problem solution sets that are, the gaps are being filled now that it, it's just brilliant the way they're doing it. Yeah. I didn't know you were collected comic books. Oh yeah, listen, I've got, I've got uh, John Stewart back here, icons. My kids got that for me for my birthday, and I've been collecting comic books since I was nine. So uh, yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff uh, on my other side of my office wall. You can't see it now. I've got I collect original artwork from comics, and so I've got uh, an Invaders picture, full page spread. That's the original hand drawn part of the comic. So yeah, uh, you, you got to do something, right? Did, did you know that there was a whole Canadian superhero team? Uh, which one? There's well, there's, a few of them. Well, there's Captain Canuck who... Okay, Captain Canuck, yeah. yeah and then there and was then, a whole team. I, I have a buddy who Alpha just... Flight. pulled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Alpha Flight and then and Wolverine was actually on Alpha Flight. The, 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 the two main characters of Alpha Flight actually saved him when he escaped from the, the experiments. I know the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> Geeking out on comic books here. I, I also, oh, yeah. you know, I also went to school with a, a longtime good friend of mine, and he worked in a comic book store here in Vancouver for years and years and years and years and years. And he's a total comic book fanatic. I never really got into it, but that's okay. I, I appreciate, I appreciate that that uh, you have that passion. It's awesome. And you're right. We have to do something, right? Yeah, it's a store of value. You know, we we're at this point, and and this is the other part, and the reason why I got got really excited about decentralized finance was. I have two older sons. Uh, one will be 24 next year. The other ones uh, will be 22. And millenniums don't have the ability to own anything. You know, they've grown up in a world in which everything has been rented for them. They don't buy me. You know, I bought CDs. You know, I, you seem young. Maybe you never bought a CD. So <laughs> I bought CDs. That's so kind I of had, you. <laughs> I'm, I'm I had, 
<laughs> 64, buddy. Born in oh, 64. Yeah, listen, listen, listen. I, you know what? I'm not going to date you. You can date yourself. But VHS, you know, I bought DHS. I bought DVDs. And so everything, everything that we wanted to consume entertainment-wise, we owned. And we could resell that whenever we felt like. But now kids are all grew up on subscription services, right? Stream the music. They don't want to own cars. They they use either Uber, Lyft, or Turo or some of these other apps in which they rent the car for the day. Uh, they don't really think about owning a home. If they want to go to a nice home, they just go ahead and use uh, um, Airbnb, Airbnb yeah. or VRBO or one of these other. And and then many of them will never be able to own homes based on the salaries they get and, and, the, and the increase. Come on, Vancouver. Yeah, you guys have seen literally since 1999 have seen thousand fold increase in prices in, in the heart of the city. I mean, this is there the idea that millennials will actually be able to succeed because they don't really have any assets. They don't, they, you know, they rent everything. And so every month they're subscribing to all these services and they don't accumulate safe. And the cool thing about uh, the whole idea of decentralized finance and really the space that I'm really excited about now, the non fungible token space, the NFTs, is that while Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, fluctuate based on fiat value, right? Bitcoin compared to the U.S. dollar, or big, you know, Ethereum compared to Bitcoin, right? The gold, silver uh, lock-in. Uh, NFTs have a value that's completely separate in of their own based on their own uniqueness. And so, like we said about the house or whatever in the comic books, when you have an NFT, there's only one of that non-fungible token. It's put on the blockchain. It's either a picture, a lot of pictures now, or cards. You know, William Shatner just introduced a bunch of uh, NFT cards, did $100,000 in sales within nine minutes of literally taking pictures he had and putting them on the blockchain. And because they were individually unique, th that was it. But these cards in the secondary market are increasing in value because it's one of a kind. And so this is an opportunity for millennials to own something that's one of a kind they, you know, they're never going to be able to buy a Rembrandt, but they can get a William Shatner card that now goes up to $5,000 value. They're never going to be able to get the first issue of Superman, right? But now these NFTs are giving them an opportunity to not only be consumers, but to start creating a storehouse of value for themselves. And that will be how they will be able to step into the space of buying homes and owning cars. And when they're going from their 20s into their 30s and wanting to settle down and have families, that's where the transition will be because they'll have this storehouse of value with all these non-fungible tokens. And that's really exciting. Okay, so let's break this down for people that don't know the lingo. So fungible, and, and help me out here if I, if I have this wrong, my understanding of fungible is if I have a $5 US dollar, you have a $5, US, $5 US dollar, we can trade those and they have the exact same value. We understand it. There's no disagreement. Like my five is the same value as your five. Nobody's getting less less value here. A non-fungible asset would be something that you can't really compare it in price. Like there's not, you don't have the ability to say, hey, I'll give you my house for your car. It doesn't mm -hmm. make sense. They're not interchangeable. They're not, you know, we would have to negotiate that out and figure out who's going to get more or less from that transaction. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. So now with William Shatner, he's put a bunch of, was there Captain Kirk photos? Is that, is that what they were or? Some were, but there were really personal photos and okay. some were just photos, you know, he's been in, in, in Hollywood about 60 years, yeah. right? He, you know, you can see him on old Twilight Zone shows but <laughs> back in the you know, late fifties, early sixties. So he took personal photos and turned them into digital cards that were then 
uh, wrote, written on blockchain. In this instance, it's on the wax.io network. So it's written on that particular blockchain that was built for NFTs. And uh, he then said, hey, you can buy a pack of these pictures for 50 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever it was. And you can, and I, if you get individual cards, just like we used to do, I don't know if you guys did it in Canada, but we had the garbage pill kid cards that we used to trade and collect and all that stuff, uh, baseball cards. And now you can trade those digitally because they're all registered on the blockchain that this is number one of three. And there's only one of three of this. And now you have it. And anybody who's interested in William Shatner cards, if they want that one of three, they've got to pay a premium for that card. Right. Yeah, up here it would be hockey cards. There we go. Right. There Wayne, we go. The Wayne Gretzky rookie card is like there we go. is the gold standard <laughs> of hockey cards. There we Although go. Although I would argue, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull my camera off here if I can. I'm gonna argue that uh, this guy here, uh oh, Bobby Orr. There we go. Arguably the best defenseman ever. That's then, that's one of that a big argument. I think a lot of people agree with you. That's that, that's <laughs> one of forty four. <laughs> that there. So I could put that on a token. Yep. And if it ever went missing, I could prove it was mine. Yep. If anybody ever tried to resell it, it would be like, no, dude, that's yep. actually mine. Yep. Okay. So that's what we're talking about with non-fungible tokens. Yep. And it's so this is a way to basically crystallize the things that you own and somebody can't go in and duplicate it because it's locked in on this and you said what wax.io is that is yeah that yeah a... we're using wax so even the ones that we're creating we're only using wax because it tops is using it tops just put garbage bell kids on it you have uh, the brats uh, uh, the characters being put on it uh william shatter went on it so it's well you know very everyone's comfortable they know the technology they're putting their characters on it and now they're creating a whole entire uh, a universe around it. So between wax.io and then atomic assets is where people do a lot of the selling and swapping uh, in the secondary market. Uh, that that's become huge, and and so we we've been really excited about it. And it's brand and some of this and like I said, you know that that is one of forty four. Some millennial may not be able to afford to buy that from you, and it's not because they wouldn't want it. But if you then take that same picture and you have reprint rights and you were able to put it on its own separate token. Now you could say, okay, now we have one of 1000 of these uh, above your online. And this one is the only one of 1000 you could get for 50 bucks or hundred bucks or whatever. And now when it goes to them, unless they trade it or swap it, it's theirs and it's accumulating value as people want it more. And it doesn't matter what the price of Bitcoin is or Ethereum or whatever, that item has its own individual value based on its own individual rarity. Okay, so what I'm getting from this conversation, thank you, by the way, Noble, so much for joining me today, is in the world of uh, crypto, cryptography, crypto coins, what we're talking about here is uh, even the non-fungible tokens, is the ability to create scarcity. Mm-hmm. Unlike what currency has become, which is unscarce. I mean, every politician knows now that if I just want to please people, I can just tell them I'm going to print a whole bunch of money. I don't say I print a whole bunch of money, but I just promise the moon and then we just throw money at it and I'll get I'll get elected because nobody's thinking long term about what that might cause. Whereas Bitcoin, because there's only 21 million of them, 
That's it. There's a scarcity that goes with that, which then drives up that value, correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this is the same thing, you know, gold had a scarcity value too, but, you know, people still gold mine. And so it also has an impact that, you know, more people are digging in the ground to get gold, that changes. Diamonds have a perceived scarcity, even though we know De Beers has vaults and vaults and vaults of diamonds that they've accumulated over the last hundred plus years. Uh, but they constantly meter out how many they're going to give to the market and they create scarcity and scarcity is where value is built. Right. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, how do you, how would you take a coin public or a, a coin offering? How would you, how would you do something like that? If, you know, the way we're, the way we're doing it is we we're doing the 506C. If, if you have a new company and in the U S you can, uh, file what's called a 506C, which is an exempt offering. If you have a new company, you're going to issue a, a token along with it, and you're looking to introduce a token and get investors in and not get caught up like so many companies did selling a non-registered security, then I'd say do a reg, you know, reg D 506C exempt filing. Uh, sell it only to accredited investors or something like 21 million, 22 million accredited investors sitting on $12 trillion in IRAs and the like and then focus only on those marketplaces. If you're going to do it where you're going to introduce a brand new token to the marketplace, then a lot of people are using uh, what we talked about, like Compound or Celsius or uh, Moon, uh, Moon uh, Moons, uh, is they're creating their own DeFi protocol where if you swap in your Ethereum, you're receiving a value for your Ethereum and then you get the tokens. And so there's no need to nobody's buying or selling it, nobody's doing anything, but literally stepping in and storing under the staking model, their tokens and, and getting these other altcoins uh, in, in hand. And I think that that's a, a smart way to do it. And then I think another way to do it is just airdrop it. You know, you know we, we have a project that we've been doing called King of Quotes game, which is a board game in which we literally, uh, anybody who signed up, we just gave them tokens. And if they do certain things in the community, they get additional tokens. And uh, if they download the game, because we actually put the the, car, the whole board game as an open source so that you can download it and print it at home and play it. So you didn't even have to buy the game from us. Then you get more tokens for that. And so we wanted to give it where, you know, people just receive tokens for activity, just like the loyalty, you know, you go to the store, like the loyalty rewards, you know, you go to the loyalty, you know, you go to the store, they give you certain loyalty points. If you go to, uh, you know, uh, Ralph's or Kroger's down here, they give you certain points for buying more groceries and discounts. And so that's what we did in the same fashion. Just give the token away and just let people know there's only a limited amount of tokens from the beginning. And so we did to come full circle what I said that the loyalty, you know, rewards the loyalty cart dollars you guys are receiving should have done. When people sign up, it's on the ledger. They only get a certain number of tokens airdropped to them. We know who received them and what wallet they received them. And we already have an automatic finite number of tokens that we're giving out. So as people, more people play the game, there'll be less tokens. So we did the same thing that they're doing in the, in the loyalty thing, but now we can track it and we know what it is. And so that creates a value for it. But the idea of ICOs and people doing these, these big events where People just randomly jump into projects. I think that phase has passed. And I think the idea has gone more to something registered, licensed, you know, security tokens. And in bit by bit, this will get more and more registered, more and more 
uh, regulation on it. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think there's a bad thing in that component of it. And as, as people use it, it actually solidifies it, right? Like the way crypto works is the, the more people that you have actually signing in and adopting it, the stronger it gets, the more secure the network gets, et cetera. We, we learned that with the U.S. dollar. At one point, nobody wanted the dollar and the dollar drove up in value because around the world, people use that as the core medium of exchange for business. Just like the English was not the, the primary language of business. It was French for a long time. And now English is the, because of adoption, like you want to do business, you got to speak English because the United States is coming. So it's, it's that same thing that, you know, and this goes back to literally where we started at. You have to be very, very cautious about putting your own belief system on what's happening right in front of you. You know, it's easy to say, I don't like this. I don't believe in that. This is not, doesn't make sense. But the reality is something's happening and other people are building the reality around us. And you can try and cocoon yourself or you can start participating. Hmm. Fantastic. How how can we help you? Uh, how can people get a hold of you? What is it? What is it we can do for for you here at the at our podcast? Well, we you know we've got a couple of fun things that are coming out, and uh, you know we've got NFTs coming out. Uh, so we'll be doing a uh, kind of a soft launch on December tenth for some non fungible tokens on the Wax.io platform, and it's for a video game we're creating in augmented reality called Carousel World. And that's going to uh, launch. And we're only putting out uh, a limited edition set of cards uh, based on those characters, six of them. And then we're going to put out only uh, 5,000 for each one of these super rare cards. And then once you put those out, there'll never be another one. But it's going to prep up what we're putting out again come March. Uh, and then we, uh, a DeFi project that I'm really excited about is called Moonstake.net. And uh, it's real simple. And it, it's kind of patterned after uh, this uh, hex, which did 3.6 billion in raise. And so we've been very excited about that because we're at the beginning of that project and we're watching it. It took hex about a year to get to that level. And so we found uh, this, this moonstakes.net and we're kind of in that project now. Uh, and so I bought a lot of tokens there and, and I think that that's gonna be kind of like the next hex. Um, well, then overall, if people want to just reach out to me, you know, it's easy to find me on LinkedIn. I type my name and I'm always open to new projects, new people, you know, interesting ideas. I think that, you know, especially now with COVID, you know, we, we've all functioned in such a cloistered way for such a long time with our own little insulated group of people that we interact with and talk to and the like. I have made more connections, more new relationships like you, Thomas, uh, that I probably have made in all my networking and all my in meeting people than I, in my whole entire life. And, and I think these, these relationships have been more meaningful because we've had long conversations, we've talked, we've met, we've, I got a better idea of understanding who they are because you have all these, these micro conversations that get past uh, the small talk that happens in a lot of networking events. And so uh, I've been really appreciated and like, I appreciate being on your show. Hmm. Thank you, Noble. Thank you so much. This has been great. And, uh, you know, I'm sure after I listen back, I'll have more questions and, uh, and, uh, but I, I'd love to stay. I'd love to, yeah. I'd love to stay in touch too, because sure. I think, uh, some of the people that I 
you know, that I network in, uh, in terms of gaming, I have, I have some really good friends that own a gaming company that are always, uh, that are do cooking games online. They're doing very, very well. Sounds like that's something you do. Uh, I think there, you know, there might be some synergies here that uh, could happen that uh, was not intended when we started, but might, you know, flourish oh, outside of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those, you know, there will be a world in which every company, every game is going to have its own quote unquote Bitcoin and token. And so people have wallets with currencies from multiple co- companies and multiple businesses. And I, uh, if you're not producing your own token and giving rewards to your customers for spending their time, it's going to be seen as an anomaly is not going to be seen as the norm as time progresses. People spend the time, especially average video game is like 70 hours. If you get a, a console game, that's a lot of time spent with no full reward. You've just spent time and money to be in the game and it's great for entertainment value. But with millennials, again, scarcity of jobs, scarcity of opportunity, these games then become sources of income. Uh, you know, Twitch started it by people seeing what the people are doing, but reality is the games are gonna have to start paying people. So any gaming company that starts releasing tokens, creating non-fungible tokens, creating an economy that their players can participate in, is gonna find themselves light years ahead of both loyalty and customer adoption because that's what most people are looking for. They're looking for at least some reward for their activity. Hmm. Well said, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks a lot, Thomas. I really appreciate it. And thanks so much to you for joining in and listening to today's show. This is the Bloom Living Podcast. We hope you have yourself an amazing day. We look forward to having you join in again or maybe go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. And if you're so inclined, give us a shout out, give us a thumbs up, share it on social media. We'd really appreciate that. All the best. Stay blessed. Namaste. Namaste.